All right, we're live. All right, welcome back to Talk with Army. I'm your co-host, Delilah. And I'm your co-host, Daisy. And today we're going to be talking about the term queer baiting because it's been popping up a bit on Twitter a lot lately, but there was also a really problematic uh, article by LGBT um, account Openly, and they usually do a lot of LGBT reporting and stuff, but they, they made a very ignorant thread in regards to queer baiting, which is really baffling that a queer publication would write something so just like filled with so much false not only like false information but framing an entire culture in a bad light framing um male friendships as something that is just for views and clicks like we are going to get into uh, everything that's wrong with the thread, but before we even talk about that, we're just gonna do what we usually do and talk about what even is queer baiting. Right. So, in terms of what queer baiting is, basically, queer baiting is a marketing technique for fiction and entertainment. Um, it's basically where creators hint at, but then don't actually depict same-sex romance or LGBTQ plus representation. And creators do this to bait queer and ally audiences to their ratings, but then never confirming a queer relationship so they don't alienate their homophobic audiences. Yeah, and the reason why queer baiting works has to do with really LGBT plus people are just desperate for representation, even if it's breadcrumbs. And so um, Emmett Scout in an article titled Please Do Not Bait the Queers from 2013, they said, queer baiting works on its audience because it offers the suggestion that queer people do have a vital place in these stories, that they might even be the defining figures, the heroes. The suggestion, but not the reality. Um, yeah. And he then goes on, well, actually, I, I don't know, um, their pronouns are actually I'm going to go back to they um, and they mark the origins of queer baiting in fandom culture and in fandom spaces throughout the 2010s and I completely agree with that um, I, I don't think people are exactly sure like who was the first person to coin it but it was definitely something that had grown out of and became a bigger topic during 2010s 2010s for sure and so Emmett Scout, they also say, queer subtext is used in these narratives as a spice, a hook, a form of marketing, while actual queer sexuality is conspicuously absent. The term queer baiting grew out of fandom circles to describe the recent vogue for these stories. Yeah, so you can see how, you know, people really just use um, the suggestion of an LGBTQ plus relationship just to get, you know, viewers to get clicks, but then, you know, they're not going to actually confirm any type of relationship, which is really just being very dishonest to their viewers and just leading them on simply because they want clout. 
Yeah. Um, and then some examples of it being used in pop culture today is um, people that were fans of BBC Sherlock um, would have accused the creators of queerbaiting John and Watson's relationship, especially because in the original novels, the uh, sexuality of the characters is very unclear, but in more, I think, example that has more weight to it is probably Destiel from Supernatural, and it's like, wow, imagine talking about this ship in the whole year of 2021, am I right? <laughs> but, I mean, there is a lot of reasons why people would ship these characters, especially because there were hints throughout the seasons. They would often um, try to portray Dean as being bisexual, but then later maybe write it off as like it was a joke. They There was this one episode where... Um, I can't remember which character said it. I don't know if it was um, Cass who said it, but explicitly stated that basically queer people aren't going to go to hell, <laughs> right? And so, like, it's just like all these little gumdrops along the path kind of makes, you know, you connect the dots and you hang on and hang on and hoping it's going to build to something more because it feels like they're leaving breadcrumbs that's gonna lead you to the apple pie you know what i mean I'm not right best, i'm not the best at metaphors guys i'm sorry <laughs> and also um queer baiting is also relevant when you have the creators and actors involved say things off screen but never show it on screen so at a con in 2012, actor Misha Collins, he said, quote, you know, we know what it is, what's going on. We don't talk about it. The actors don't. Jensen and I don't. But we're all perfectly aware of how the relationship is. The writers are completely aware of how it's being written. It may be unspoken, but that doesn't mean it's not there or not true. End quote. So basically, the actor is saying, uh... Yes, there is queer subtext. Um, however, this was in 2012, and it, the ship, Destile, it remained subtext until literally the final season last year, so eight years later, in which Cass tells Dean, I love you, in one of like the very last episodes. And... You probably saw people clowning this on Twitter because it was god-awful. Um, <laughs> it was so clearly written as a means to satisfy, satisfy fans because it was just so poorly done and it just, it didn't feel, I don't know, it just felt like it was not, it didn't feel natural. And then also, how are you going to send a positive message and pat yourself on the back for LGBT representation when as soon as Cass says I love you, he gets swallowed by hell immediately. Sorry for spoilers, but um, so yeah, having a character confirm a queer relationship and then 
be swallowed by hell is not good representation, okay? Um, and that's also going with another trope that is very common in media, which is the burying your gaze trope. And that basically happens when characters um, in TV will be revealed to be LGBT, but then they'll die soon after, or they'll die without their um, character ever being explored. Um, yeah, that's kind of like what happened with um, uh, Legend of Korra, actually. Um, sorry for spoilers, but at the end, um, Korra and, what was it, Masami? Mm -hmm. um, they um, go, I think it was like the very last episode, like the very last few like seconds of the series, where um, basically they go hand in hand to the entrance of the spirit world, and then, you know, they face each other, and then, like, right as they're vanishing into the spirit world, it kind of looks like they're about to kiss, but then it was never shown. They kind of just go into the spirit world, and, like, that's the end of the series. Like, we don't, we don't ever hear about them after that. Like, we don't see their relationship explored. Um, and it was just very weird because, like, originally, um, like, it was this whole, like, love triangle thing where at first it was uh, Korra with, um, what's his face, uh, Mako, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we thought that they were going to be together, but then it didn't work out, and then we thought that uh, Masami was going to be with Mako. <laughs> Yeah, we thought that she was going to be with Mako, didn't quite happen, um, and then suddenly it was just Korra and Usami together, and that was never really built upon, there was no depth to that relationship, it's like they kind of just put them together, and then the series ended, like, I just don't understand, like, obviously, like, they didn't die, because, like, you don't die once you go to the spirit world, they kind of mm -hmm. just went to the spirit world, because, like, if you know from, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender, you know Iroh has been into the spirit world, and he was still there, actually, in Legend of Korra, um, so you don't die, but the fact that, like, they kind of just went there, and, like, that was it, I feel like they really just kind of fumbled the bag on that one. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people point out, oh, they wrote each other letters and blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like, it's like, I feel like it's okay. I will give Legend of Korra a small pass only because it's Nickelodeon. And Nickelodeon probably um, did, did not want to have um, an explicit same-sex relationship and also legend of korra was massively screwed over by nickelodeon in terms of airing and seasons so season all the seasons are so disconnected because the creators never actually knew if they were going to get another season or not so each season had to be like its own self-contained thing and therefore it had it didn't really have any flow or continuation so um and, right and a lot of that is Nickelodeon's fault. However, um, Supernatural doesn't have an excuse. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, for Nickelodeon, I guess, understand their circumstances. Although it's kind of stupid because, you know, they've had explicit, like, um, opposite sex relationships. For example, like the whole thing with Aang and Katara in, you know, series one, you know, no, they weren't shy of like showing people in a romantic relationship on screen. Um, even though like the characters, all of them were minors in the first season. Um, but now, you know, when it comes to same sex relationship, like they, they don't even want to show like it explicitly in season two. So it's like, well, I do understand, you know, you know, stuff like that. I also do think that they could have done better. They could have done better. 
Yeah, so that, there's more and more examples of queer baiting that people can probably think of, but those are just like some main examples. Um, another example that's not in our realm of media, um, but in anime, so in Japanese animation, anime creators will make use of camera angles and animate scenes in a way that is homoerotic. Um, and this way it'll attract fujoshis. And fujoshis is a Japanese term. Um, it, I mean, it translates to rotten girl. So it's, so if you're a fujoshi, you're someone who consumes BL content, basically. And the mm. term is, I mean, it has a negative connotation, but BL fans in Japan are kind of reclaiming it um, and, like, being proud of it, which... Um, makes sense in my opinion like there's nothing power wrong. to the people yeah there's nothing wrong with consuming bl content of course but um free eternal summer is not a bl okay but what <laughs> they were doing with haru and makoto um i don't i don't know if you guys have ever watched free eternal summer i mean me and daisy are anime fans and anime sports fans so We've seen free, and there's just so many, not even between Haru and Mako, even though that's one of the most popular ones, but there are a lot of times where they will have characters, like, be so close together in each other's faces and, like, staring at each other as if they're about to kiss and almost kiss, and then, like, they never do. Um, right. It's also completely irrelevant to the plot of swimming. <laughs> and so that... It basically just creates shipping content for fans, and it's not actual LGBT representation, of course. Um, and then another example we were thinking of in anime, even though there's tons of examples, um, was yeah. Karu and Hikaru from Orin High School Host Club. Um, have you ever <laughs> seen Orin High School Host Club? Hikaru and Karu are actually twin brothers. <laughs> The people will refer to them as twin sense. Now, we never, you know, we never see them, like, actually doing things that are, that are incestual, but a lot of things are at least implied. Like, they will be naked in bed sometimes. Um, like, they, it was just very odd. And they obviously weren't, like, in love with each other because they both had romantic feelings for the main character who was, um, uh, I guess you could say a girl. She doesn't care, um, about pronouns. Like, she's kind of like, I'm me, I'm whatever, girl, guy, whatever, but, uh, biologically female. So, Karu and Hikaru were most definitely probably heterosexual and yet, for some reason, Oren High School Host Club was like, what if we just, like, made the twins have, like, a weird, incestual, like, relationship? Right. Like, when it came to that, like, I understand, like, what they were trying to do. Because, obviously, for anyone who hasn't watched Oren High School Host Club or knows the plot, basically, um, what had happened in the plot is that in this high school... Um, they have this host club and what a host club is is basically it's just like a bunch of guys um, and they um, 
how do I explain this? They basically entertain, you know, the females in the school, um, you know, they'll host events, they'll talk to them, they'll basically fulfill like sort of fantasies. Um, so obviously, like all of the different people in the host club, um, all of them have basically like, picked one characteristic that kind of like encompasses them the best and they just kind of stick with it. So for example, um, Tamaki, he's the club president, he's kind of like the prince of the host club. Um, and then you have somebody like Kyoya, he's like the smart, intelligent one. Um, you have, uh, let's see, yeah, you have like Honey. Yeah, he's the key one. He basically is like Lolishota type of concept going on. And then, um, uh, what's his name? His cousin. Oh my god. Why am I forgetting? Mori! Yes, Mori. Yes, okay, there we go. <laughs> Okay, yes, and then he's like this kind of like wild lone wolf type of person. And then how do he, um, obviously, how do he's in the host club? Because basically the plot is she breaks like this really expensive vase in the beginning, and it's like eight, like it was like the ridiculous amount of yen. And then she basically has to pay it off by joining the host club and um, getting a certain quota. Um, so she gets a number of uh, customers, quote unquote customers to come to her and she has like clients or whatever then she gets off scot-free and then like she's paid off the debt um and so for how did he she's kind of like kind of like a mix in the middle because she's biologically female but doesn't care about how she presents herself um you know they kind of play a lot on her gender expression so a lot of times she'll in the host club she'll be dressed pretty androgynously um and then yeah, that's basically the plot. And so for Hikaru and Kaoru, their whole concept is like twincest and you know, they play on the fact that there are girls who are straight but will fetishize homosexual relationships. So while they're not necessarily saying that they are in a romantic relationship, like the whole point is that they're capitalizing on it because they know that girls that there's some girls who will go crazy about it. And that's why there's the whole twincest thing. Right. It's, it's definitely a little bit weird. You could argue Orin Haskell Host Club is kind of being satirical um, in regards to it, um, which is fair. And I still love Orin High School Host Club, okay? Um, but that is just an example of what exactly queer baiting. Like, they, it's a very accurate depiction of queer baiting. It's like queer bait within queer bait. <laughs> um, yeah, and if I'm being honest, they kind of queer bait a little bit with Honey and Mori. Because, yes, again, those do. two, like, what, what is it with them and, like, biological relatives and, uh. and queer baiting? Because, like I said before, Honey and Mori are cousins, biologically. And, um, you know, sometimes there is, like, very you know strange queer subtext going on whenever like mori is like talking about like honey for example like there's this one episode where like he there are like so many girls who have like fallen in love with him and like gave him confession letters and like basically um he rejects all of these girls confessions and then like i remember for like one of the girls he rejected she was like oh there must be someone else isn't there and then like for some reason like his mind goes to like honey and so, like, you start to wonder, like, is he thinking about Honey as in, like, he's very important to me, like, as a family member, and that's why I'm not dating anybody else, because I'm kind of, like, you know, you know, I have this duty to Honey-senpai, um, or am I, like, thinking of Honey because, like, oh, I'm in a room, I want to, like, 
be in a romantic relationship with Honey. So there's that like subtext kind of in the background and they never really like explained that. Um, so it's basically up to interpretation. Although I would imagine that like, I don't think anybody would really want biological relatives to become a canon ship. That's kind of a... Uh... <laughs> uh, don't underestimate the freaks out there, Daisy. <laughs> You, okay, fair enough. I mean, we just talked about Supernatural, and um, Dean and Sam were like an actual ship. The two biological brothers were a ship. So let's... Oh, great. Yeah, so, you know, when you deep dig enough into fandom, it really is a hellscape. <laughs> but those are our examples of queer bait yuri on ice is not queer bait um no you will catch a hard block i see so many people try to say that yuri on ice is queer bait um how <laughs> i don't know they were literally engaged um they had a kiss and the creator of yuri on ice said that they had to play a lot with um, the rules and stuff because, see, Yuri on Ice isn't listed as, like, a shonen eye, which is boy love anime. It's basically, you know, a sports slash shonen type-esque anime, and therefore, um, including a same-sex relationship between two of the main characters um that's not a plot that is in any sports anime so it was a little bit trickier to have that be approved and considering that they once again literally got engaged um and to kissed there's that's that's not queer baiting people and on top of that like like not only did they get engaged and they kissed but like that also happened like around the middle of the actual season so it wasn't like the other ones like for example um uh supernatural or like legend of Korra, where like they've made them you know part of the lgbtq plus community at like the very last second of the series but they were like hinted at you know throughout the beginning half of the series then around the middle half then they were confirmed and then like after that like every episode after that kind of built on not just you know yuri getting back into ice skating but also their relationship and so i don't see how people can see that as queer being because they gave mm -hmm. us everything there's very I don't clear think people under you i think you needed to be here when Yuri on Ice was first airing, I mean, when we were sitting down watching new episodes every week, because in the beginning of Yuri on Ice, there were elements that without context of later episodes, you would say, oh, this is, you know, queer baiting, like how at the end of the very first episode, um, Victor greets Yuri completely naked. Um, and in the second episode he's being very flirty with yuri he's you know being very touchy and like it's like what is going on and then it's actually revealed at the end of episode 10 the entire reason that victor was flirting with yuri is because during a drunk encounter yuri flirted first but he just doesn't remember so the beginning of the story Actually, Victor had it in his mind that Yuri remembered, and because um, 
he realizes, oh, the Yuri that was drunk isn't the same Yuri that's sober, so I'm going to be a bit more serious. I'm not going to flirt with him as much, um, which is why it mellows out. And then their relationship kind of like builds from the beginning. But it totally makes sense why in the beginning Victor was so handsy and flirty because he had assumed that Yuri remembered flirting with him first. Right, so it all makes sense like once you put all the puzzle pieces together, but you just had to be there for the release of each episode. I remember how excited I was every time an episode got released because this was back when I was in university and mm -hmm. I was president of my anime and manga society at my university. And so like, I w what was there? Our running time was like every Wednesday we would have a club meeting from like 6 to 10 o'clock at night. And then I would take like the train, or no, I would take the bus home. And then like by the time I got home, because we always stayed after hours. It, we said that it ended at 10 but like for some reason we would always just be messing around in campus until like midnight for some reason uh what was wrong with us uh, <laughs> i think i took advantage of the fact that i never had class on thursdays but anyway i would get back it would be like one o'clock in the morning and then like an episode of yuri on ice would have like just been released and then i would be watching it and like literally within like the first 30 minutes of like the episode being aired people were already posting fan art on twitter they were possessed by the same spirit as those armies during era because jesus christ the amount of fan art that came out so quickly was insane no but yuri i don't know you could pry yuri on ice out of my dead cold hands like it is more than just victor and yuri's relationship it is one of the only sports animes that features a young adult athlete struggling mm. with um struggling with kind of their quote-unquote flop era, you know what I mean? Um, right. Usually typical sports animes follow uh, teenagers high in high school, and it's a team sport, but instead you have Yuri, who's this young adult, he's in his early 20s, he has, he definitely has um, anxiety. Um, Yuri and Ice uh, has one of the best depictions of a panic attack that I have seen in an anime. Mm. And so I really think that, you know, for the amount of episodes it got, it really was just solid. Um, it was a really solid story. And it just happened to feature um, a same-sex romance. So right. Yuri and Ice, um, sure. Is it like the most perfect anime of all animes? No. Is it still a 10 out of 10 for me? Yes. Um, Absolutely. So... <laughs> Now, let's move on to, like, queer baiting in the K-pop industry. So, um, there are some male and female K-pop idols that will be encouraged by their label to be phys physically affectionate toward their group members um, in front of a camera, so then that way fans can build off of this, like, you, I mean, you see it all the time in your YouTube recommended. It'll be K-pop gay moments. Um, and then somehow it's like Super Junior making out on stage to, in their concert, like, for, for some whatever reason, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, those are moments where you can be like, oh yeah, this is, this is a queer baby yeah, moment gay. because you're depicting two idols being very too close um in <laughs> a, a way that can only be explained by being in an intimate relationship however 
they probably don't act like that on the regular. If they're just doing like a regular V live, for example, like a regular live stream, no. But if they're in a concert giving a performance or if they're in a variety show, there was that paper passing game that was super famous in variety shows. Um, I remember Seventeen did it. Uh, BTS was going to do it, and then um, as they were about to pass the paper, I think Yoongi, Yoongi, my gay ally, I, honestly <laughs> calling him an ally is doing him a disservice, but anyway, <laughs> but Yoongi, I think he, he knew what the producers wanted, and he was not going to give it to them, so Yoongi is the one who started, this was during Fire Era, by the way, so you guys can look for it. And he was the first one with the paper, and he basically, what you do is you're supposed to pass the paper with your mouth. So you're basically kissing, but there's a piece of paper between your mouth. And so it starts with Yoongi, and he's supposed to pass it to Tay, but Yoongi coughs and drops the napkin as soon as they start. And basically, if you drop it, you lose. So the game was basically over. Um, and BTS were laughing and clearly found it hilarious, and, uh, as they should, because, I don't know, BTS are just so good at, like, not giving in to what people want from them, and I just love it, so, that is a really prime example of queer baiting in, like, Korean media. Right, and not even just, like, Yoongi, but, like, there's also that time where um, they were doing interviews at this one award show, I think it was back in, like, 2018, how um, there was that one woman who was, like, uh, she asked Jin to post pictures of him, like, kissing another member on the cheek, and then he was, like, oh, yeah. Use, like he, he started making, like, such a scene that he was, like, you think I'm gonna do something just because other people want it? I won't. He and was then she screaming. Was, like, <laughs> And then he was like, when we say that he was screaming, like he was literally screaming. Like every time the woman tried to say something, like he would just start yelling. And I was like, you know what? Period. I understand. And that's, I think, why people were so annoyed with the openly thread that we will get into. Because when we see BTS interact with each other, it is genuine interactions. Um, it's just baffling that. You know, there are examples of queer baiting in K-pop, like when you are doing that variety show game. Not when two members are just hugging in the corner off on the side and not even in, like, the main focus of the camera. Exactly. Like, and, you know, I've seen, you know, people talk about this elsewhere. Um, one thing is, one thing I watched is this one video, um on basically there's this person who does uh k-pop uh, related videos called ploopy uh 678 and she makes really great videos i definitely recommend her channel um and one of these videos she made was called uh why some k-pop groups don't get along and then basically there's this kind of part at the end where she's talking about um she had basically interviewed this member um her name was melanie from this one k-pop girl group called chocolate um they're now disbanded i think they disbanded in 2017 but basically when she was interviewing her um uh, melanie would talk about how you know i mean this is uh i don't know if i can technically define this as queer baiting or not but it does have some sort of relevance where basically her company 
would always be forcing the members to be playing up their friendliness on camera because you know it's not just about like what fans want to see in terms of like fetishizing you know homosexual relationships but also the fact that it wouldn't look good if the public thought that some members didn't like each other so even though it's not entirely the same as queer baiting but you can see how labels will make members play up certain dynamics to make it come across a certain way to their fans or just to the outside perspective whether it's you know to get more fans in because of the queer baiting or you know to make sure that people don't start thinking that some members don't you know like each other yeah and holland who is an openly gay uh soloist and a lot of people uh have media has deemed him like the first openly gay k-pop idol um and there's some debate about that but regardless Mm. Holland, uh, in an interview with Jake, um, he, his YouTube channel, he does a lot of, like, social experiments and, like, does, like, really good, um, conversations regarding Korean culture, and in that, Holland had said, quote, in Korea, people still use LGBTQ plus people as a source of comedy, even in entertainment shows and in the K-pop industry. They would send out these boy and girl groups, their entertainments would tell them to act like they're super close. They deliberately try to create content out of moments like that, to which Jake goes on YouTube, you can find videos titled Korean Idol Gay Moments. And then Holland continues, even though they watch that kind of stuff, when an actually gay idol comes out, would they accept us? End quote. Yeah, and I think that this is actually a perfect segue into the next section that we wanted to talk about, which is consequences of queer baiting. So, you know, I feel like I don't need to explain why it's wrong to force two idols of the same sex to do fanservice, but we're going to do it anyway because this is our podcast and this is what we do. Um, but in terms of fan service and queer baiting, um, first of all, um, fetishizing LGBTQ plus relationships but not supporting the LGBTQ plus community is incredibly problematic because, like I've said before, it's fetishizing the relationships, treating it as something to lust over, but then, like, when it comes to people who have actually come out, like, you're not going to support them, that is incredibly disrespectful and to the community. And it does happen. Uh, shippers even do say that. <laughs> they'll say yep. they'll say oh i enjoy it because it's fake like i it would be so gross um if like it, if it were actually revealed they were gay those are real things people have said and i have read both on the international side and the korean side right and then secondly if they're not dating to insinuate something that is there that isn't really there is very dishonest and you know third of all making two members who are already uncomfortable with each other perform acts of physical affection with one another that have queer subtext it's just going to sour their dynamic even further like why not just build you know naturally build on you know group dynamics as is instead of forcing them to do something that they don't want to do or be somebody that they're not you know i feel like there are plenty of ways for you know members of a group to naturally improve their group dynamic that doesn't involve putting them together, put, shoving a camera in front of their face and say, okay, now make out. Right. And then, of course, the impact it has on the LGBTQ plus community. Because, like, you could be asking yourself, okay, like, so what? Who cares if they're fetishizing LGBT relationships? Like, what is that harming? But 
LGBT people, they have no representation in media, especially in a country like South Korea. Um, I will say South Korea is very slowly starting to become a little bit more open to LGBT media. Uh, there is more and more uh, BL series that are being made and coming out compared to a few years ago when I first got into K-pop and K-dramas. Um, and that's, I don't know, it's just, it's a very subtle change, but I feel like it is important and it is, it does have a, an impact um, to see those types of relationships portrayed in a positive light on screen. So, um, there, and also Korean BLs, I've watched them and like the quality of them are actually super good. They have really great storytelling and cinematography. Um, so I would definitely recommend them. And there was also that one, I can't remember what it was. There was that one series that people were talking about on Twitter with that famous actress. And it turns out her character was actually a lesbian in the, in the series. And she comes out and tells like, I, I don't know if it was, I think it was maybe like her husband or something, but like she comes out and explicitly says, I am a lesbian and I am in love with a woman. Um, point blank. And that, that was just a regular Korean drama. And so to have something like that in the mainstream does show that there is very small changes. Of course, South Korea is still n not the most gay friendly. It's still, I would still call it a homophobic country. However, attitudes are slowly, slowly getting a bit better. Which is why I get really annoyed when people complain about Korean BLs being very short, being pretty much web dramas, and it's because big producers aren't going to want to fund um, a huge project that features a same-sex romance, like, because it's not going to get the ratings as, say, what, uh, as, say, for example, like, Itaewon Class or, like, some other famous K-drama, you know what I mean? So, right. it's important to understand the cultural context of these things being made which is also why the openly thread once again which we will get into in a few minutes um was problematic completely ignoring cultural context um and then another reason why it's a big impact on the lgbtq plus community with group baiting is we have to witness, like, people fetishize our sexualities, and it, it's, it's not accurate a lot of the times, and it's completely, it's always portrayed as comical. Um, the idea that, oh, two people of the same gender can be in a relationship and then play it off as laughs. It's, why do people get to, you know kiss each other on stage and, you know, insinuate that they're in a gay relationship, but then they get to go home and still be heterosexual at the end of the day. You know, we don't have that right. luxury. And so, of course, it's, so of course people of the LGBT community are going to have a problem with it. 
Right, because people are treating it as like a joke or people are treating it as some label that you can take on and off. Like, you know, in terms of like minority groups, like for example, you know, people within the LGBTQ plus community or people who are, you know, racial minorities, it's the same thing. Like we have this label that will be stuck on us for life. I can't change me being black the same way a gay person can't change them being gay like but some people will just take that and use it as a label that they can put on when they're on stage and then when they take it off they can go home and they can still live a normal life they're not going to be judged they're not going to be discriminated against they're not going to be harassed but these people who actually live that life truly will and you know the fact that people really aren't thinking about that i feel is like i said it's incredibly disrespectful to the community which is also why um, I will say um, I can respect uh, Heechul from Super Junior. So he has gotten a lot of rumors throughout the years that he is homosexual. And he has gone on the record to say the reason he doesn't completely dispute those rumors is because he's worried that if he were to say, oh, I'm not gay, um, that people who are gay will feel bad about themselves. Um, and so that I can respect, but it is, it's just very interesting how people can be so obsessed with um, celebrities' sexualities, but not support them if it's revealed that they are not straight. <laughs> Right, it's very weird. Um, so yeah, I think that pretty much concludes that section. So uh, now we can move on to the next section where we will be discussing, um, you know, the misuse of queer baiting in the K-pop community or people who just talk about K-pop in general. So when it comes to queer baiting, there are a lot of people who I've seen online, especially on Twitter, who will call something queer baiting, but then like what they're calling queer baiting is just normal interactions between two people. And it's like, um, you might want to stop just throwing that word around. It's especially weird when it's like, you see like two members who are like hugging and people are like, oh, they're queer baiting. And it's like, they've been friends for 10 years. What? <laughs> <laughs> Like, some of you people really exposing yourselves when we say you don't have friends. And no, do not come into our replies when we post to Twitter and be like, oh, they're calling me out. You do it under Daisy's tweets all the time. I see it. <laughs> Daisy will be like, ugh, K-pop stands are jobless. And then y'all are in the replies are like, why is she calling me out? <laughs> Right? It's like, I'm I'm unemployed too, guys. I would be calling myself up. We're not doing that here. Like, when I talk about some people, like, what was the tweet I made? I was like, you can really tell when some people in, in like, K-pop Twitter don't have friends. What I mean by that is, like, some people who genuinely have just not had enough social interactions with humans to really deem what something is and isn't. Um, so, you know, for example, in this context, when it comes to people who call, like, basic human affection queer baiting, it's like, you can tell they don't really interact with that many people because if they did there would un they would understand that like what they're saying is wrong so you know when it comes to um you know the misuse of queer baiting within the k-pop community there are so many people who assume that um for example in the context of bts um you know that they're queer baiting uh, when in reality it's just them and they have a close relationship with each other 
Exactly. And I think there was something else I was going to say. Oh, it, it seems like people are just trying to get more woke points and like they're trying to like have this hot take um when in reality you just sound stupid right um a lot of people will say it just because they think that they're doing something for the community but in reality like all of this mess is just not helping at all and you know they'll you know get a few likes on twitter maybe uh but at the end of the day um your social justice badge isn't gonna do much for the lgbtq plus community i'll tell you that for free exactly and so with that, um, the assumption that BTS are queer baiting is just absolutely ridiculous, which is why we are finally now going to talk about that dreaded openly thread. Like, there's so many things wrong with it. It makes me so angry. Like, I have been thinking about it almost daily because it just it makes me so angry. <laughs> Right. So um, the problem that we had with this openly thread is they decided to make a thread about queerbaiting in the K-pop industry. And um, there were a few tweets that were very problematic. For example, there was this one that says, but many K-pop stars seem to be publicly flirting with same-sex band members. Queerbaiting is, is common in K-pop. It's rooted in what's called shipping culture, fans desiring relationships between idols. Labels encourage skinship, band members touching each other. And then they included a gif of uh, Taehyung and Jungkook, and they were kind of just like, they weren't even hugging. They were just like sitting very close to each other. Yeah. And then um, Jungkook had his arm around Tae's shoulder, and like that was their example of queer baiting. And people were like, huh? And then even further on um, down their thread, um, they talked about, they said, however, progress is being made. As K-pop becomes more global in the West, more idols are speaking up as LGBT plus allies. BTS uh, famously expressed support for sexual minorities at the UN in 2018. And uh, wow, there are so many layers to these tweets that like so many people have called out, but we'll talk about them on here as yeah, well. There was there was another tweet. I can't find the screenshot of it, but I do explicitly remember it because it was a long thread um, and, and I couldn't find like the full one. But there was another tweet that talked about uh, K-pop and its lack of LGBT representation. Okay, we need to unpack that, okay? Because first of all, why would K-pop have LGBT representation when South Korea does, is not accepting of gay people, like, in, like, high, like, basically gay entertainers and actors, like, if they came out as gay, like, their career would not go well so mm. a people can be fired in korea for being gay um so a lot of people will hide their sexuality so of course they're they're not going to tell their company that they are gay or in a relationship because their company probably will not want to risk a scandal and um will let them go from the company so no, there's not going to be many openly LGBT idols in the K-pop industry, and it's not a matter of representation, it's a matter that South Korea is just not currently at the space to have people be open. 
Right, that's just how it is. Because they're a conservative country, naturally they're going to receive a lot of backlash if, you know, they end up coming out, especially if they're high profile. Um, this, so when... Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm annoyed because this happens so much where people say, oh, in K-pop, blah, 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 blah. When in reality, a lot of the times, it's not a K-pop issue. It's a Korean culture issue. And K-pop just happens to be a small circle of that within a much larger lens. Um, It's just so annoying how, like, people are just so ignorant of the cultural context of things. Right, because, like, I mean, it's not even just, like, Korea that's very conservative. I mean, there are places in America where you can get so much hate and backlash for being, um, if you, for being gay, if you come out as gay, especially... Um, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, down south is like the most homophobic, but I'm sure there's plenty of places up north where you will get dragged for coming out as gay. I mean, I know, for example, like in Nigeria, Nigeria is an incredibly conservative country, um, especially, you know, if you look at like the religious, um, you know, ideals of people there, you know, when a country, especially like a country that's like majority Christian slash Catholic, um, you're going to get a lot of homophobic people. And uh, because of that, Nigeria um, is, you know, very homophobic in nature in a lot of aspects. And, you know, I don't know if that's the case present day, but I know back then, you know, my parents used to say stuff like if you came out as gay in some places, like you could get killed for that. So it's like, are you really going to risk your entire life um, on simply coming out when, you know, a lot of people, they care about their safety, they care about their privacy, they care about their security. Um, you have to understand that, like, for these people, a lot of times it is, like, pretty much life or death. So, naturally, you're not going to have a lot of people so willing to come out if they know what the consequences are. And then, so, what, so what, so first, this thread, um claims k-pop needs representation with it is not a representation issue okay i mean it's just i mean that's just such a weird thing to say um k-pop companies are not going to be like hmm uh can you please check your sexuality in this box we need to fill our quota like it's not gonna like no um right um uh completely ignores that skinship is just a part of korean culture men are um it's not seen as gay for men to you know be close to each other and therefore um it's just like it's a more natural over there and so because it's funny i and my theory to it is because being gay is such like taboo um even if you are close with another man they're not going to assume you're gay because that's just so unfathomable you know what i mean right um because um, over here in the west you know that type of skinship culture between men is not present um you know in america here like a guy does as much as compliment another guy's hair and it's like oh that's sus like there's a lot of like speculation that will go on about your sexuality if a man shows any type of like closeness or any type of physical affection towards another man um but in korea they don't have that and that's why so many men are so open to being close with another male friend or family member etc etc 
So like when it comes to just assuming that every male to male relationship in Korea is like, uh, well in K-pop is queer baiting is very uh, unfactual because sometimes they're just people who've been living together for a while, who've been close for a while. And so that's just them being friends. That's their dynamic. Um, so basically what I'm trying to say from this is that the openly thread did not recognize this and so provided a very ethnocentric take on what they thought was queer baiting in the k-pop industry and that's what is so funny is because they fail to address even once what queer baiting actually is in the k-pop community in the k-pop industry i mean um they fail to actually give an actual example all they did was just show gifts of like two members um, like hugging or sitting close to each other when you, they like they could have found such blatant and more obvious examples so easily like it is one YouTube search away I I right like it's just so poorly done I'm shocked and then also there's like a Oh, sorry, but no, 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 um, no, no, there was no. another. <laughs> yeah, there's another. Um, I remember there's a tweet that you had done um, about that openly thread earlier about how you mentioned that um, you know this thread was here acting like the West was somehow more progressive than the East in terms of um, respecting LGBTQ plus relationships, but forget that it's because of imperialism and the West colonizing other countries in the world that homophobia even exists in those places in the first place. Because if you look to cultures before colonization, there are plenty of countries that have had all sorts of different types of religions or even gender identities, but the second they got colonized and they had these Western ideals basically etched into their brain, you know, that's how, you know, things like homophobia was able to spread. Like, it wasn't there from the beginning. Yeah, um, which is why, um, people, which is why a lot of people are so wary of missionaries because a lot of times, um, spreading religion and, and particularly Christianity has been a tool for colonization, which is why places that even though have, you know, religions, for example, India, India just recently decriminalized homosexuality um, before it was illegal to just exist and be gay. And so they recently decriminalized it. Um, but it's interesting, you look at a lot of Hindu cultures and there are so many deities that are non-binary and have multiple genders and gender expressions and engage in non-heterosexual activities. But because of, you know, Western imperialism, it, there's the idea that uh, basically those ideas kind of like get lost over time. Another thing yeah. that makes me really mad about saying that, oh, you know, K-pop is starting to become more open and blah, 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 blah. BTS have been LGBT supporters since their debut. Um, there's mm. tweets back from 2013, 2012 of them being supportive of the LGBT plus community. So to imply that the only reason they're speaking up about it is because, oh, they're gaining popularity in the West. And so they're, you know need to cater toward their western fans as if 
real LGBT people do not exist in South Korea. Like, Just do you, wild. Like, do you... What is not clicking? Do you not see how problematic it is to insinuate that the only reason a K-pop idol will care about LGBT rights is because of the globalization of K-pop? No, Korean LGBT people <laughs> are real living in South Korea and they deserve respect. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> exactly, and are we not gonna forget um, Namjoon King writing a bisexual anthem back in like, what was it, 2012, 2011? Uh, which one? It was that one that uh, we were talking about yesterday. Oh, um, oh the glam? glam song. Uh, yeah, but I actually think that one might have came out in like 2014, though. Um, it might have. I think maybe he just wrote it beforehand, but at the same yeah, time, he like, read the it fact that he even he released that. Oh, it was 2013. Sorry. Um, so 2013, so Glam, which was a group under Source Music and big hit so one of the lyrics and namjoon wrote these lyrics okay how it goes is are you a boy girl i don't care passion is the key a hot heart is your id um and then like there's other lyrics like girl i like you really really like you now i'll just jump up and leave the rest to me um so a uh, kiss xxo anyone could be a romeo uh, touch of your lips, XXO. If the heart starts to race, you're Juliet, Juliet. So basically, it's a very, it's a very, um, LGBT plus song, in my opinion. Um, right. you literally have this girl group singing, oh, um, I don't care if you're a girl as long as, um, I feel good when I'm with you, is basically what the lyrics are. Yeah, Namjoon wrote that pre-debut, um, and so it's just it's just so annoying that the person who wrote this thread really got on their high horse um, and decided to do really no research. Like I I genuinely don't understand what research they did for this because I could have made the same thread and it would still have been like crap, but I would have at least had like better examples. <laughs> right. And then like not even just Namjoon, but like Bang PD has been an ally for ages. Like are we forgetting like the whole Joe Kwan thing? And if you don't know who Joe Kwan is, um Joe Kwan is uh he was under a group called 2AM. And that was kind of like, I guess, partially managed by Big Hit. They kind of had like a deal with, what was it, JYP J yeah, or something? JYP. Yeah, they had a deal with JYP. And so they were kind of managing that group together. And um, Joe Kwan, he has um, basically announced that he sees himself as genderless and that, in fact, it was Bang PD who bought him his first pair of heels and told him, um, I don't remember what he said word for word, um, I'll be looking for it as I'm talking, but I think like Bang PD said something like, do you want to, you know, do what everyone else wants you to do or do you want to do what you want to do? And then he gave him the heels. And so it's like, you can see that like Bang PD has like already like been fostering that type of safe environment for people to be who they are for like years before BTS even debuted. And for this openly, article to act like 
uh, BTS have only been supportive or like their company has only been supportive of you know the LGBTQ plus community since 2018 just because they're growing bigger it's like do your research please do your research exactly um and I'm glad that a lot of people a lot of people of course bully them into deleting it as they should but I really liked how eloquently people were pointing out what was wrong with the article because I, because like so I feel like I can you know sometimes if I think about it, I can put it um, eloquently. Uh, but there are some people that are better than me. I will admit, and so I even saved like a few screenshots of um people who had called out the article and so let me see what did i do with it i lost it <laughs> uh i'll find it well we can start with this one so this one um is by frankie um at f-r-x-n-k-i-e-h and they say at openly just so we're clear, BTS aren't queerbaiting you or anyone else. Real people can't queerbait. That term is applicable to fiction only. Men having healthy relationships and showing skinship, even if they aren't openly queer, is beautiful and anti-toxic masculinity. It baffles me how you could possibly have a problem with that. Holding a Korean group to Western queer ideals and norms is undeniably xenophobic. The world does not revolve around the West, and that includes the Western queer scene. You're not the activist you think you are. Honestly, mic drop for that. <laughs> like, imagine going off that bad. Like, that's crazy. Like, when it comes to how openly tackled this thread, it was just completely out of pocket. It was poorly researched. And then, you know, they ended up deleting it, but then they gave, like, no comment, no apologize. nothing. Right exactly so it's like so it's like you know okay you deleted the thread but like are you not going to address how problematic your views were your ideals were they just kind of deleted it without an explanation and i feel like that's just very poor in taste like why should i trust your publication for lgbt news or and their quotes and partial lgbt plus news for a world that isn't like okay I guess. Um, how am I supposed to trust your publication when you release such, you know, terrible xenophobic threats? Right. And so, because of that, um, yeah. Like, Another, when it comes to... Yeah. I was gonna... Oh, I found, I found the screenshot I was looking for. Um, oh, you found it? Yeah, I found it. So, this is by user at Frayed Grape. They say, one, queer baiting is a term that should be limited to fiction. Since when was it okay to dictate how real people are supposed to interact with members of the same sex? Are we now going to start forcing people to label themselves as gay for being affectionate with the same sex? 2. Does it this way of thinking encourage stereotypes about gender and sexuality? There's no way a man can be openly affectionate toward his male friends unless he is gay, in quotations. I thought we as a society were trying to get rid of such stereotypes. Three, why are such publications constantly ignoring cultural differences in the East and West? The sad reality is homosexuality is still largely rejected in the East. How can public figures in the East be expected to be as open about their sexuality as those in the West? And four, 
Most K-pop idols literally live with each other for years. They're bound to be more comfortable around one another and thus be more comfortable with showing physical affection. Exactly. Like, this person really just hit the nail on the head. You know, they just ignored so many aspects culturally. They ignored, you know, a lot of aspects in terms of, like, how, um, you know, K-pop idols interact with one another, how they live together, etc., etc. So... Again, like I said, it's poorly researched and you can tell that Openly was really just tackling this from a Western perspective uh, without really putting much uh, effort into researching so they can give this topic the nuance that it deserved. And because Openly's article was, I mean, sorry, not article, thread was so terrible um, and even failed to actually talk about any LGBT representation that does exist in the K-pop industry, I've decided to um, end this off on a higher note. So Daisy and I are actually going to tell y'all about LGBT idols that are actually open and also give you a list of some K-pop music videos that have LGBT storylines. And so we're just going to... Uh, kick off the list with uh, most notably Holland, who debuted in 2018 with Neverland. But what you probably don't know is that there is a singer, her name is Harasu, and she's a transgender singer who transitioned in the 1990s, but always identified as female since her childhood. So she has been um, openly transgender uh, throughout her career and she still uh, is active in Japan and South Korea and she transitioned back in the 1990s so um, that's a that's a really cool fact to know and then because of Harasu we got the girl group Lady they debuted in 2005 and inspired by Harasu they were an all transgender female group but they ended up disbanding in 2007 due to lack of positive reception, which, not surprising, but the fact that that happened in the first place in 2005, like, that's amazing. Right. Like, uh, I was about to say, like, honestly, I can't even imagine, like, the U.S. debuting, like, an all-transgender girl group in 2005. (laughs) Honestly, the U.S. would never. Like, they think that they're that progressive, but I really don't think that they've gotten there yet. Like, let's not act like we didn't just recently legalize gay marriage and how even that was on the ropes for, like, the entire of Donald Trump's run. So, anyway, (laughs) the next person um, is uh, Song Hye-in, which is a contestant in the survival show Idol School. And... Uh, they came out as bisexual in 2019 after posting a photo of her and her girlfriend kissing on Instagram. And the next person is Min Sung, also known as Hanso. Um, uh, and they came out as asexual in 2017 via Instagram Live. And honestly, when it comes to the LGBT, uh, the LGBTQ plus community, you rarely hear of people who come out as asexual. So I would take that this as a win for sure because not many people talk about this in terms of you know sexuality, especially when people are speculating idol sexualities, which you shouldn't, by the way, mind your business. But like asexuality and aromanticism is always left out of the equation. I know we've talked about this in like previous army anonymous episodes but like you know to see somebody come out as that i think is also great like the fact that they were comfortable with themselves enough 
And then we have Marshall, who's an American-Korean singer who came out as gay to the public in 2018. And he went on the record saying, quote, most of my friends in Korea told me it was social suicide, end quote. Um, and I mean, I totally see that. I mean, going back to Holland, Holland has explicitly stated that he can't do fan meets because there are conservative groups in Korea that protest his existence, and if he were to have a public fan meet, um, he is worried that him and also his fans would be, like, in danger. Like, it's a dangerous situation um, for him to meet up with fans, and, like, that's the reality of it, and so... That just makes me more mad that, like, the opening article really was like, hmm, why aren't K-pop idols, why aren't more of them gay? They probably <laughs> are, but they're not going to tell you because right. it would be suicide to their careers. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it would just be pretty much them, like, quite literally, li like, risking their lives. So, like, yeah, again, openly article, like, horrendous takes. Um, so the next person... Um, uh, the next people actually are DIP members Sungho and B Nish, which um, uh, for all who don't know, uh, DIP members are a six member group that debuted in 2016. And two of the members vid uh, admitted via Instagram Live that they were actually dating each other and they were answering fan questions. And their leader, uh, Hyung Sung, is rumored to be bisexual after indicating he's interested in both men and women on his old Facebook account. Uh, the group is currently inactive right now, but uh, some of the members, including uh, Beanish, have debuted in the group uh, Xenex. And apparently they were not dating, but just good colleagues, according to a Xenex Twitter update, but um, we can't really find any sources for that. So there's that that happened. And then I think this is going to be everyone's favorite, because when I told Daisy this, like, she was shocked. So. There is a first-gen idol group that debuted in 2001. Uh, the name of it is K-pop. K-apostrophe pop. <laughs> yes. The name is awful. Yes, the name of the K-pop group is K-pop. They debuted in 2001, and they disbanded in 2004, and it was revealed to be due to a conflict between two of the members being in a relationship with each other. One of them cheated with an idol from a different group, leading to his partner assaulting him. And because they were never able to reconcile, the group disbanded. So media never stated which members it involved specifically, only that two of them were in a relationship. That's literally lifted like straight out of Wattpad. And it, this was 2004. <laughs> like, I could, like, imagine the drama, like, what was going on with K-pop, honestly. <laughs> like, the fact that, like, there was just so much going for, I feel like they must have been cursed. Like, the fact that they were named K-apostrophe-pop, like, that was already, like, the first warning sign. Listen, first-gen and second-gen K-pop was a trip. Like, I can't imagine what it must have been like to experience things like this in real time. Um, but, yeah, let me know what you guys think about this story because it's just it's so insane to me <laughs> like first of all you're already you know hiding your relationship hiding being gay but then you cheat on them with another idol from a different group <laughs> like oh, oh my right. god <laughs> and so that right. just puts that person at risk like oh my god like what a mess what a mess 
you know what it makes me think of you know how like during that whole uh period in time where like k-pop fandoms were being covered by the media during like the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. and then one of the um i think it might have been like good morning america or something one of those like media outlets but then they had said that um they had basically mistaken us for being fans of a group called k-pop instead of referring us like as like the different k-pop fandoms and we were like, oh my god, you're so stupid. Like, who? Like, why would a group ever be named K-pop? Little did we know. No! <laughs> ah! Oh no. <laughs> we were... Uh, I forgot about that. I forgot. Um, yeah, imagine like... <laughs> oh my gosh, imagine being like a member of K-pop and like seeing someone be like, oh, that's such a stupid name. Who would name the group K-pop? Like, it's dumb. That would never <laughs> exist. <laughs> imagine being a member reading that. <laughs> I know, it must have been so sick. Because it's like, I just I just don't understand like why they would ever sabotage like their group like that. Because I remember like there's some pretty clapped names that I've seen for like some K-pop groups over the years. I think before this, like the worst group name I'd ever seen was like just Global Icon. And I was like, okay. But like K apostrophe pop, no. Like <laughs> you're doomed from the start if you're named like that. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I also, there, there are some groups for like, for example, I never understood the point of Teen Top being an acronym. Like, Teen Top by itself is, like, already a name. Um, and so for the, it to be a whole acronym, like, each of those letters being an acronym, I was like, what was the reason? Um, too much work. Too, like, that's too many letters. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, honestly, as messy as it is, I, I kind of find this whole situation absolutely iconic. But, <laughs> and then... Let's get into some music videos with actual LGBT storylines. So once again, um, we'll mention um, Holland and his 2018 Neverland music video. And uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty explicit, just two men in a relationship. Um, and they do share Kiss, which ended up getting the music video an explicit 19 plus rating. Um, and I remember watching behind the scenes and there originally wasn't going to be a kiss but Holland was told that if there was it would make the rating explicit and he was like why why would a moment like a nice moment between two men just bump the rating up to explicit so then he did include um a kissing scene out of spite (laughs) we love and we love a petty king honestly the next one is probably something that K-pop fans are very familiar with, and that is Please Don't by K-Will from 2012. And this was like the plot twist of all plot twists. Personally, for me, um, I wasn't too shocked by the plot twist. I think people are just so heteronormative that mm. they just had to assume, oh, he was in love with the girl, even though... Okay, if you guys watch this music video, please point, can you like screenshot a single point where he looks interested or happy or in love with this girl at all? Because there is not a single shot of anything. I feel like they were siblings, but basically, please don't is very iconic because um, it attempts to mislead the viewers and thinking that the main 
character in the music video is in love with this girl who's going to be marrying his best friend and so he's mad because you know she's getting married when in reality it's revealed at the very end of the music video that he was actually in love with the male best friend plot twist shock it's also a really good song so like honestly um k will um iconic i didn't include i think there's another music video that um it was just about like social issues in korea in general that also featured um a same-sex couple but i can't remember which song it was because i didn't include it but yeah k will icon um and so yeah daisy uh you should watch the music video too just because i i need your opinion on it i am desperate <laughs> and so you'll oh 100 after this um, yes, I will. A ne- the next music video is Touch by Anda from 2015. And this was, um, Anda was a soloist, and the music video features um, women being intimate with each other. So, yeah. Um, and then, of course, I had to include One More Day by Sistar, Summer Queens, Miss Them. Um, but One More Day came out in 2016, and the music video stars um these two girls one of them is in an abusive relationship with her boyfriend and so because the two women are also in love with each other the woman that's not being abused um makes a plan to basically get rid of the toxic boyfriend (laughs) we love to see it um baby soul and yujia and she's a flirt from 2012 i can't remember um, I can't remember that actual plot of, um, this music video, but it is, it's a Sophic music video. Go watch it. <laughs> and then, um, this one, this next one is from 2015. It is Excuse Me by Bestie. And this music video is really fun. Um, it's a music video that, um, has LGBT um themes in it but it's presented in a more fun way so basically how the storyline works is that these girls are trying to flirt with these men um and they have these magical glasses that show the true intentions of the men and so when they see the guy that the girl's talking to they put on the glasses and it shows an image of them being wrapped up with another guy or kissing a guy or hugging a guy and basically oh the men that these women are attracted to are actually gay um and it's a music video that is more fun and entertaining and it's kind of just naturally there which i think is really nice because a lot of lgbt music videos are actually really depressing (laughs) so to just have like a fun music video like um excuse me by bestie um thumbs up and then i included all night by girls generation from 2017 um it doesn't necessarily have an lgbt storyline but um it does feature drag queens in the music video so i think it's just nice to have that um representation Mm. and then goodbye by Wean of mama moo from 2019 that also features um a lesbian relationship in which a student is basically 
in love with like her art tutor and i don't mean like student as like a high school student and like a teacher i mean like they're two adults and like she teaches her how to paint and she's basically in love with like her painter tutor right because there's some you know storylines that will make it really weird and have like some young high school kid in love with like their teacher who's like 20 30 years older than them and it's like stop it it's not cute that is basically pedophilia and we're not here to support those types of things i don't even care if it's on wattpad on ao3 i hate that type of trope it is disgusting exactly um especially when teacher slash teacher is right there like the dynamic of two teachers being in a relationship and the students making fun of them like the that's way more appealing the comedic potential like you guys are not seeing the big picture the big brainness of a teacher and teacher relationship but anyway um continuing with the thread all in by mods to extra 2016 um so like this one i wasn't really sure if i was going to include it but you know what um with my queer eyes i'm just going to say right now that music video was gay as hell um (laughs) so two of the members i'm pretty sure at the top of my head it is min hyuk and hyung Wan, but their characters seem to be in a relationship and in fact at the end of the music video they're they're even um holding hands together in a bathtub and um yeah the the music video theme overall is very like apocalyptic um and so it kind of seems like they're like two lovers struggling through this like apocalypse type setting um but yeah also uh with um the mentioning of monster x i realized that starship is just a really gay company we got k will sister monster x who are all under (laughs) starship entertainment so take that with what you will um and then help uh by 10cm and 10cm is a pretty popular like more like indie type artist i know it's i know that's like a um it makes no sense i just said he's popular in indie but like he makes like indie type music um he's pretty popular in south korea though um and in his music video help um i think i think it was like about a variety of different social issues in korea but it just included um a same-sex relationship similar to that uh k will music video or am i thinking of a different one? Oh my gosh i'm trying to remember or is this the one one second i can't remember the plot of this music video guys um but it is it is uh it does feature a gay relationship i'm just trying to figure out which one exactly it was oh well anyway go watch it it's very gay um and, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh i will end this thread with wish tree by red velvet from 2016 um and that music video um is a lesbian music video but um it's kind of sad the girl is in love with what is i guess her best friend and um she's basically wishing um that she will love her back but it's an unrequited love so yeah and that kind of wraps up my music video examples so um add them to your list um go listen to them the songs are pretty good too so yeah 
honorable mention the entire HYYH storyline. Oh, don't don't get me started on the HYYH storyline, okay? But anyway, those are uh, some music videos that I hope you guys will check out. Right, so basically to just kind of wrap up this whole episode, uh, queer baiting is gross, it's stupid, and um, while that, you know, that whole fact can exist on its own, no, I'm not saying this is an opinion, queer baiting is stupid, that is a fact. Um, you know, when it comes to how people use it within the K-pop community, people really do need to be a lot more careful with just calling anything queer baiting because you know, there's a lot of people who don't know how to accurately identify queer baiting and just kind of look at two people who were just genuinely close with each other and think, oh, that's queer baiting without really thinking about what they're saying. And basically by overusing the word, it's going to water down the meaning of queer baiting and it's going to make it difficult to find instances where queer baiting actually happens. You know, it's the same thing with people, you know, misusing other words. It's like now when people who are actually interested in those issues go and look for stuff about those issues online, the only thing they're going to find at the top of the page is your stupid hot takes. And so what now? Yeah, like, yes, queer baiting is stupid and queer baiting is bad, but like, you can't just like throw around the word queer baiting whenever you see two people of the same gender like be slightly affectionate like there's not everything is queer baiting uh there was a lot of discussion on k-pop twitter about the only one of music video and their libido track and that being queer baiting because their choreography has the members being a little bit more intimate However, in the behind the scenes of the music video and in the description of the song, it's a song about, you know, it's literally titled Libido. Um, it's based yeah. off of the Freudian, um, Freudian theories of sexuality. And so the music video, kind of the aesthetics of it kind of remind me more of like a coming of age type of queer film. And the members definitely were purposely trying to portray it as a queer relationship and so i think for people to call it queer baiting when no it's just queer is disingenuous right so just be careful of how you use it and um yeah i'm pretty sure that's all we can really say about it at this point Yep, um, that is just gonna be how we're gonna conclude this episode, and, um, I'm not exactly sure what the next one is gonna be yet, but you will, you will hear it, um, whenever I decide to put the preview in. So, yeah, that's all for now. Um, be gay, do crime. Basically, the whole mantra of this episode, be gay, do crimes, stay safe, put your masks on. That's all you need to say at this point. Drink water, wear SPF. Okay. All right. We'll see you guys next time. (laughs) Bye. All right. Bye for now. Talk with Army is written and edited by Daisy and Delilah, who you can find on Twitter at Nija0329. That is at N-A-I-J-A-0329, an adorable trap at A-D-O-R-A-B-1-E-T-R-A-P. You can also follow our official podcast Twitter at studio underscore 090713. That's at S-T-U-D-I-O underscore 090713. 
The thumbnail art was commissioned by Rafa, who can be found on Twitter at RKDraws, that's A-R-E-K-A-Y underscore D-R-A-W-S. Stay tuned for a preview of the next episode. Yeah, like you said, like if you don't know the language, it's not your place to go and say that this person is right or this person is wrong. And it just comes off as very entitled. It's very disrespectful. And at the end of the day, like while translators, yes, they do their job very well, I would say. Um, they can only translate as accurately as they can, like in terms of their perspective. Like for that particular Weaver's post, we will never know the true meaning of what Namjoon meant unless we ask Namjoon himself, and obviously we can't. 